1: You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320
2: KLWN. Hey, what's going on? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson, In with me is de Butar on your, I was about to say beautiful Friday just because it's a Friday, but it's not really that beautiful, so I don't want to lie to you, but we are on a Friday, so that's good, uh, here on RCST. We'll be joined by Brandon McAnderson, In about 35 minutes, Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, joins us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. We've also got to get to our game picks, and we're going to do a draft of worst Halloween candies. You're going to see everybody doing a draft of the best Halloween candies. Well, we like to live in the slums, which is why we are going to give the worst Halloween candy draft. Me and Cole both pick a starting five going back-to-back. But first, we lead off more NIL news for KU. We talked yesterday about Remy Martin getting a car deal in which he got a a Toyota Camry, which was just kind of funny. And uh, how you think of when you hear this athlete got a car deal and you don't think of a Toyota Camry, but again, you know, I'd be happy with a free car. I I wouldn't really care. Um, More so interested yesterday in the NIL stuff with Mikey Williams, because he got a deal with a shoe sponsor and he's in high school today, though, the NIL news, David McCormick, Jalen Wilson,
0: getting an NIL deal, with Wendy's Does Wendy's have a slogan? I was going to respond with like Wendy's slogan, but then I then I realized I don't think Wendy's has a slogan.
2: Where's the beef? That's an old one. I don't oh. think they still use that, do they?
0: <laughs> I, I hope not. Um, you know, uh, uh we should uh, have a shot of the KUK State uh sideline fight and it just says where's the beef underneath <laughs> it.
2: That's actually perfect. They should 100% sponsor or get, like, an NFT on that <laughs> moment specifically. <laughs> just in moments like that in general. Uh, apparently, they do have a company slogan introduced in 2010. You know when it's real. And I have never heard them say
0: that. No, I've never heard, like, a, a commercial that has that as the line mm-hmm. at the end of it or anything.
2: So, a couple ideas. Um, they have the Coca-Cola freestyle machines, which I love because it's just options. David McCormick, freestyle in the post. So, there's got to be something you can do with that. Like, David McCormick is... The freestyle post machine.
0: Yeah. Uh, and you know, there was the and one freestyle mixtapes back there in the early two thousands. Yeah. You can have uh Wilson do some mm-hmm. like uh sit crossovers and you know, Coca-Cola freestyle machine, and it works. Love that.
2: Um I saw Benton Smith respond to me. David the Baconator McCormick is now his new name. Uh love that. Um I also am disappointed because McDonald's. I mean, that's a huge missed opportunity, right? His name is Big Dave his last name's McCormick, Mick, Big Mac. His mm-hmm. name can literally be nicknamed Big Mac.
0: Except you know Wendy's also I think uh Wendy's founder was named Dave because I think that's what like some of their burgers are named. Like they have the they have the prefix like Dave's, you know, double cheeseburger or something like that. So it mm. works for
2: McCormick too. Yeah, you're right. Uh so you can do that. Somebody replied to me and, and let me see if I can find this so I can give proper credit because this was, um, I thought, a really good idea. Um, oh, here we go. This is from uh, name is Ringneck on Twitter, so I don't know the person's like actual name. But they said, "Now think about how many times Jalen can say, no, Big Mac, you want a Baconator.' That is actually <laughs> genius.
0: Oh, that's you know, I like that one a lot. Actually, no, uh, give give that guy props. That that's a that's a really good uh, idea. I hope that. Um, their NIL uh lawyer guy sees that.
2: If you were a basketball player and you could get sponsored by one fast food place in Lawrence, what would it be?
0: Oh man. Um you know what? Let's go let's go a place that doesn't exist anymore. Mm. Uh if if this was back when I was uh you know like a freshman, sophomore in college, Fat Freddy's Pizza was my mm. favorite pizza place. Used to be in, a sponsor in, of the show. In in all of town. Mm-hmm. Uh they had The best wings, they had a crack money wings, which was a honey barbecue mixed with lemon pepper. And then they had the stoner pie, which was pepperoni, sausage, bacon, um, mozzarella sticks and curly fries (laughs) on a pizza. So I I think that if I if it was when I was in uh, college, it would have been Fat Freddy's.
2: I'll be honest. I think I would be a uh, I'd be a slave to the money. Whoever's offering most like I will champion your coverage. What
0: if you like really don't like their food? Like, I think I deal with it.
2: Well, no, this is actually interesting. And I didn't want to like bring this up because I don't want to like spoil the deal or anything, but I don't know. I guess it's just coming up organically now. Um I remember, and I don't know if this is still the case, but I remember there being stories David McCormick when he committed to Kansas. As a junior, he was, you know, they said he was 200 and something pounds. They said he lost like 15, 20, 25 pounds. I don't know, it might have been more than that. Into his senior year and gained all this muscle. And the one thing that caused that, or not the one thing, but one of the biggest things that was mentioned in causing that, he said he gave up fast food.
0: So what does that mean here? Oh, man, you're going to lose him a lot of money. I know, I know. This is morally wrong. Maybe he makes an
2: exception for Wendy's. He can get like a, I don't know. They have like chili, right? Like, you can get chili. You can yeah. get They have all sorts of stuff. I um, think
0: they have like a kind of salad thing, yeah. Chicken on it or okay. whatever. So you can he can get the
2: Coca cool Freestyle machine. He can get the Frosties, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're still good. We're we're good. We don't have to worry about this. Uh, KU takes on Oklahoma State in football tomorrow, six o'clock kickoff, four thirty pregame. You can hear it all right here on KLWN. The biggest thing for me in watching KU, and I know a lot of our guests have mentioned this, just following up your performance from what you did against Oklahoma. It doesn't mean you have to get up at halftime like you did against Oklahoma or feel like you almost could have won that game at the end of things. It just means you got to be competitive. Like if you had a game like you had against um, Coastal Carolina against Oklahoma State, I think that would go a long ways where you're in it through the third quarter, even if you're in it to halftime, and then maybe they pull away, they win by 20 or 30 points, but you didn't lose... All the momentum of what you provided this past week, especially knowing that next week you're going to be at home against your biggest rival in Kansas State. I guess Missouri, not in the conference, but your biggest in-conference rival in Kansas State and an opportunity to kind of reinvigorate the fan base, which I think you did against Oklahoma. Continue that moving forward, not just for the fans, but for the team and everything for the importance of that game moving up.
0: It's incredibly important for for momentum reasons. If the team goes out there and keeps it competitive, I think that that's going to reflect on the uh, mentality the players going into the K-State game. But if they go out there, um, I would say they're probably riding high off the Oklahoma game. Undoubtedly, number three team in the nation. uh, Putting up a real, real good fight against them, you know? I would say they're riding a high. And if they go out there and, uh, you know, get three quick turnovers or, you know, stalled drives and it just feels bad out there, I think all that just turns the opposite way real, real fast. So I think you need to, for the sake of maybe having a chance in that K State game, right? I think you need to preserve that momentum that you gathered last week, even in a loss. You know, frankly, last week I didn't expect any momentum to be gained from the Oklahoma game. I had uh, no belief that the game was going to be remotely competitive. And those kids went out there and proved me wrong. So they need to, you know... uh prove to the fans and everyone else that it wasn't just this one-week fluke where uh, every kid on Oklahoma had the flu or something, right? They need to go out there and show that this is, like, some sort of mid-season tangible improvement. Yeah, and it almost feels
2: like, to me, if they can just hang in there or or show different flashes, like, that's enough. It doesn't have to be that situation where – you do lose by 14. You're 30-point underdogs here. You know, if you can just continue to show signs offensively, what you said, don't go out there and have three turnovers early on. Don't have the bad interception. Don't have the forced mistakes. What I am afraid about in this game is Oklahoma State's defense is legit. Like, it is actually one of the better defenses, not just in the conference, in the entire country. And when you look at the offense, Spencer Sanders, at quarterback, has been very inconsistent. They haven't totally got the offense going all season long. But they have a solid running game. And this Kansas defense hasn't done enough to even make you think that, okay, even if it's an inconsistent average offense, like how much are you still stopping them? That remains to be seen. It's just I I am worried about that offense because let's say the defense has what would be considered a good game for it, which would be giving up, say, 38 points to Oklahoma State. I'm not sure how much the offense can score in this game. Like, if I had to put a cap on it, I'm almost thinking like 17 is the ceiling, but I'm thinking kind of realistically you're looking at 7 to 10 points.
0: Yeah, um, I'm not as high on Oklahoma State's defense as you are. I think that their, like, points per game, yards per game numbers are inflated by some bad teams that they've played to a certain extent. Um, But I do think that it's going to be a struggle for KU to put points on the board regardless you know i i'm thinking my cap would be more like 24 to 25 points for ku um so it really is then the defense's job to show out and hold like again if the final score of that games uh 35 to 28 uh 33 to 22 or 21 i think i feel okay about that game man
2: yeah no, i I absolutely do. If that ends up being the score. I just like I said, I'm worried that because it's a lot easier, I think, to draw positives from a game, and we've talked about this before when you lose like fifty six to twenty one than it is when you lose a game thirty eight to three just because it's it just feels like there's more positivity. It feels like there's more positives when you do have those offensive drives that that lead to. You know, uh, long scores or a nice sustained drive or uh, a big play—it just makes you feel better. And especially about you know the quarterback position, which you felt good about uh, last week. But when you look at this Oklahoma State team again, like ESPN SP Plus, which takes into account efficiencies and who you're playing, they're ranked 11th in the country. Uh, but while I say all that, Oklahoma State's offense is ranked 76th in the country by that same metric. Oof. So. Everything I mentioned where I don't really have a lot of faith in the KU defense, like you could come out and say, yeah, but they only give up 35 to Oklahoma. But that was more of a possession thing. Like you held the ball for so long on offense that they didn't have as many possessions to where I, I mean, efficiency wise, it's not like Oklahoma had a bad game offensively. They still scored touchdowns on what, like maybe five of nine drives or something like that. Um, so I, I still don't have confidence in this defense, but maybe this would be the game to do that. You know, facing an offense that's just 76 in the country, facing an offense that is a little bit more one-dimensional, and I think this has to make you feel more confident as as much as I do worry about KU's offense against the Oklahoma State defense. It has to make you feel confident that the Cowboys have, and maybe this was just an early season thing and they've gotten better, but they have kind of played to their competition. When they played, Iowa State, they barely lost. When they played Baylor, they beat them. When they played Texas, they beat them. Some of the better teams on their schedule. But then when they played some of the worst teams on their schedule, they barely beat Missouri State an FCS school. They barely beat Boise State. They beat them by a point, and there was a bad call that went against Boise State. Honestly, Oklahoma State should have won that game, and this isn't the same Boise State that you're used to from 10 years ago with Chris Peterson and Kellen Moore. This is a team that is barely around 500 right now. Um, They're really bad defensively so far this season so it's not the same Broncos team and they barely beat a Tulsa team that is same thing struggling to get around 500 this year so I think that at least has to make you feel more confident on the flip side of the defense thing
0: it does I think that does Uh, let me throw one more thing out here I think we're putting a lot on the KU defense you know oh, you got to hold them to under 35 time of possession is a big factor here and we want the offense to have those long sustained drives because especially against uh, the way Oklahoma State likes to play football on offense the defense is going to get exhausted real quick if they have to go out there they go out there and they give up a touchdown on a long drive mm-hmm. then KU goes three and out and they have to go out there and do it again if they have to keep doing that into the third quarter they're just going to be completely exhausted and not be able to provide adequate defense realistically.
2: Yeah, and the time of possession thing is interesting because there's a lot of discourse with that, with people talking about well, time of possession doesn't matter, and it does. Uh, the reason it gets brought up in that discourse is you'll have broadcasts sometimes, and I know you're not doing this, so I'm, I'm going to explain this for a second. But um, you get broadcast sometimes being like, well, they got to win the time of possession. And It's like you don't have to do that to win the game. It's more of a, it's more of a like kind of side effect of things happening. But to your point. Like, this is why it does matter. KU doesn't go into the game thinking our only chance to win is winning time of possession. That's not the case. It's about being efficient, right? And Wake Forest scored 70 points last week on 17 minutes of possession. But for KU specifically to be successful, if they go out and have a successful offensive game, if they go out and have a successful game overall, it probably, it's not a result of this, but the result is that they win time of possession because of the fact that they have to hold the ball longer to keep the defense off the field that struggled, to keep them more rested, like you alluded to. And it means they're having longer drives on offense because they're running the ball well. They're converting third downs, which is what you're looking to do. So it's a byproduct of it. If they do have a good time of possession, doesn't necessarily mean they win, but it's a good sign because that means that they're doing things they're trying to do properly. With Cole C. Butar, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Brandon McAnderson joins us in 20 minutes. Could your business use a little push right now? Need help getting the word out there that you're hiring? Do you just want to let people know how great of a product you have? Well, you can advertise with Rock Chalk Sports Talk and or the Best of RCST podcast. For more information, contact djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's Johnson at gpmnow.com. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on a Friday on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Joined, as always, by Brandon McAnderson, member of the Jayhawk Radio Network and former KU Orange Bowl winning running back. BMAC last week, obviously KU... Didn't come out victorious like they were close to doing over Oklahoma. But overall, I think a very enjoyable experience all around for KU football last weekend. What was your uh, favorite part of that game against Oklahoma?
1: I just enjoyed
3: their ability to do normal things really, really well. well, consistently well, and throughout the game. You know, there's been times where, you know, they had done some things well uh, on occasion. Maybe it was at a point where they had to lead early in the game. Maybe it was at a point where they were down big late in the game. But you would seen little little breadcrumbs that they were capable of this. It was nice to see them all put it together at the same time and compete against one of the best teams in the country. So I think it was just the overall consistent play that I I enjoyed the most.
2: Yeah, I uh, thought, you know, when you think back, how many crazy moments there were in the game, and it's not just KU, like, uh, Oklahoma recovering their fumble, the, the Caleb Williams play, the, the previous Caleb Williams play that doesn't get talked about as much, where it looked like KU had three tacklers to bring him down on fourth down. Um, the blackout that occurred in the first quarter. Uh, KU letting fans in for free in the second half. If you had to pick what the craziest part of that game was, what would you go with? It had to
3: be the, the forward fumble thing. i That was just so frustrating to see, especially since
1: you know the NFL
3: has a rule in place that prevents this kind of thing. You know, they basically say on fourth down, the only person that can advance the ball on a fumble is the person that got it. Um, And I mean, I would love to see that rule put in college for obvious reasons, but you see why it's a rule in the NFL because it's just one of those things where the defense earned that opportunity to get that stop, and an illegal play ended up costing them an opportunity to win the game.
2: Uh, what do you remember about the uh, dollar signs game with Mark Mangino?
3: Everything. <laughs> so what was interesting is that uh, you know how our body can remember, and I'm—I mean, I'm using the word trauma loosely. But what was interesting is that, that my body felt the same as it did against Texas. I never felt good about that review. I always thought that there would be some way that it would go against us. Um, even though I don't think it should have. I don't like that interpretation of the rule. I don't like how they made it, you know, they announced it as if it was clean and obvious. I thought those were all problematic, and that's what reminded me the most of the Charles Gordon play, just because it was a game that we played well above our heads, a game that we deserved to win, and a game that was just stolen from us. Um, so it felt so similar that, I, I mean, I it felt the same. My body and my, my memory remembered it the same.
2: I just wonder how that, like, like what the ripple effect of that is because that Texas team ended up that year going to the Rose Bowl and beating Michigan in a crazy Rose Bowl. And it didn't affect who won the title or anything that year, but they ended up winning the title the very next year. And I, I don't know if it's like a thing of destiny or, or what, but I just remember after that Rose Bowl when Texas beat Michigan, you hear Vince Young going, We'll be back. Like, because the national title was in the Rose Bowl the next year, I just wonder if you, if you guys would have beat Texas if, if that call doesn't go against you. Then does Texas have the same momentum? Do they go into the next year and win the title the next year? Who knows?
3: Yeah, I don't know if they end up winning the title, you know, but I do think that they definitely still get there because they just—it was just regardless of what happened in that game, all the timelines combined. Uh, to perfection in terms of how stacked their roster was from front to back, they just they were loaded. I don't see a circumstance where they wouldn't have competed for a title, regardless of what happened in that
2: game. So, what do you remember from the locker room specifically when Man- when uh, Mangino made the dollar signs comment? Do you remember like was that a talking point with the guys? Like you were kind of cracking up about it? Was it just kind of anger? Like what was kind of the talking point from the player standpoint?
3: I mean, it was definitely not comedic. You know, because we were just so... I just meant from uh,
2: what Mangino said. Like, do you guys look back on that in kind of a loving way?
3: Yeah, we look back on it in a loving way. But we also, that was significant, too, because Coach Mangino was not a personal coach. You know, not someone that built a lot of close personal relationships with multiple people across the roster. But what that did was solidified our belief that he would fight for us. Um, that he would that he would step up for us. Because I don't, I mean, as a player, I didn't know what happened in post-game interviews. You know, it's not like you know, we didn't have, you know, our cell phones weren't, you know, 24-7 information hubs yet. So it was something that we heard about later on, um, and it was something we still enjoyed because, like I said, you don't really build a relationship with Coach in that same way, and it was nice to see him step up and rep- represent for us. And I think that gave us an opportunity to go into the next week and, and win down at Mizzou. So we actually did have some good carryover um, in terms of wanting to finish a riot for our seniors who had been, you know, been through a lot during their careers and deserved a chance to be Texas. Then we went down to Mizzou and beat them. So it kind of carried over. And I think it had a lot to do with what he said and that it was kind of like a rallying call, like, Oh, this guy believes in it. So it was actually very nice to uh, to have that in, in retrospect.
2: Well, if this team got a rallying cry from that, that'd obviously be a good thing and, one of the biggest parts i think of this game specifically is can you continue that progress cuz we've seen in the past where you know KU has that maybe unexpected game where they are competitive or they win a game and they can't build off of it the next week. What comes to mind the most is, and I think this is the last time KU led against top five opponent, was that TCU game in 2014 where they led and then TCU got a couple scores late, ended up winning the game. And I can't remember if it was the very next week or a couple weeks after, but... You had the game against Oklahoma where Samaje P. Ryan ran for over 400 yards against you was a direct result after that. So how do they avoid that against Oklahoma State? And is there extra hope given over the fact that Oklahoma State has kind of played down to their competition at times by barely beating Tulsa, Missouri State, and Boise State?
3: So I wouldn't say that, that they should count on their opportunity to be close based on past circumstances. But what I will say is that I don't think they did anything that's not, that they won't be able to duplicate um, offensively. So, in terms of, I think their quarterback run game with Jason Bean, called quarterback run game, stressed out Oklahoma's defense in a way that KU hasn't been able to use to their advantage since probably Coastal Carolina, where Jason's speed is just, okay, this is something that we have to corral. And I think it just does it does something to you on defense when you have to deal with that kind of speed at the quarterback position and KU weaponized it. I think that can carry over time of possession. I think that can carry over what I don't think can carry over is, third-down conversions between third and seven and third and ten. Oklahoma ran a lot of man coverage, and Kwame Laster was doing whatever he wanted uh, against them on third downs. Um, I don't know if – I don't think Oklahoma State will be as bad in the back end as OU, so I don't think that's duplicable. But I think everything else is kind of possession, keeping a fresh defense. I thought that made a big difference. One thing that you know no one talked about a ton is I thought KU played more nickel which means uh, Otter, Jason Gilliam, and Miller were basically the de facto linebackers, and they held up really well against the run. Only gave up, uh, if you take out the big 40-yard run by Caleb Williams, it was only three yards of carry. And if you add those, it was only six. So six is obviously not an ideal number, but it's still a pretty good number for a defense that had really been struggling. And you switch over to their base defense, you know, you take out the reverse, they still gave up almost seven yards of carry. And uh, overall, Uh, over 10, if you include the reverse. So I think what they did well was they were able to play defense well in a nickel package, which gave them an advantage in coverage, having Gilliam over a linebacker. My hope is that they can find some way to utilize that package a majority of the game, because I think that was a big difference um, in helping Gavin Potter play one of his best games of the year and helping uh, KU just have more speed and more range on the field.
2: Well, the one thing going for the KU defense in this game, Oklahoma State hasn't been a great offense this year. This isn't the same, you know, Cowboys team with Brandon Whedon and Justin Blackman and Zach Thompson or whoever. Um, these are more of a rushing attack for Oklahoma State and an offense that's been a little bit inconsistent. Um, so, I guess what's going to be the toughest part for KU's defense against the Cowboys this week?
3: So I think the tough part is can they play that nickel package against a team that's going to run a lot of – that wants to run inside and play heavy? Because that's the concern is can you play smaller people if they're playing bigger people? If they can, I think that's the best version of Kansas' defense. I think it's the best version of them because Gavin Potter is the most comfortable he is, and I think Gilliam gives them more in the tackle and in the pass game. If it's a situation where Kansas is playing a lot of base defense, it's just not something they've been good at. Um, you know, with the the, the group that has Napes and Berry Hill, they've struggled to, to tackle and that's that is not that that wasn't the case last week with that nickel package that they used. I'm hoping they can find a way to deploy that. And beyond that, they just gotta tackle. And that was the biggest difference in the game that they just didn't miss a lot of tackles. They were physical, they were disciplined, and they didn't make, you know, you know, there's these mistakes that they make just because they're so young. They didn't make any of them. You know, they ended up getting beat because they got beat. It wasn't because they beat themselves. And I think I'd like to see some of that carry over.
2: How tough is this Oklahoma State defense, and uh, what are the keys to KU playing well offensively again?
3: So Oklahoma State defense will be a lot like Iowa State's defense. They'll be old and they'll be disciplined, and they'll be able to play uh, some base looks really well and drop coverage, which uh, Jason has. Just struggle with when people play drop coverage on him. and and it's not just him. A lot of people struggle with that just because the windows are smaller, and you've got to have wide receivers get separated. So what they need to do is make sure that they're winning first and second down. This is just not a team you want to be in third and long against. If they're able to shake that, because that's a trend now. Because Texas Tech, the big issue with Texas Tech was a lot of third and eight pluses. And they couldn't convert those third and eight pluses against Texas Tech. Against OU, a lot of third and eight pluses. The difference was that they were able to get separation and get open. I've, you can't plan to have that kind of success on third down. You have to have better first and second down runs. And to their credit, some of those third downs were third and three, third and four. And what it does to your offensive coordinator is it gives them the whole playbook. Because then they can use Jason Bean in the run game. They can use Devin Neal in the run game. And then they can go to a short pass, deep pass. So it just keeps all their options open. They've got to have manageable third downs.
2: Every week, I feel like I've asked you about Devin Neal and, and how much he's improved since the start of the season, and it feels like there was another progression this past week against Oklahoma. What you see with him against the Sooners that you continue to like and, and see his growth as a freshman?
3: Everything. You know, this guy started playing for me because he could pass pro. You know, when they had Velden Gardner and that's who they were primary back was, they put him in on pass pro. That's a big compliment for a young player. Secondly, he comes in, he stops wanting to bounce everything, and he starts wanting to hit some vertical seams. He starts doing that well. So now that he's comfortable hitting vertical seams and he knows how quickly it will unfold, now you're starting to see just raw talent. You know, his ability to be elusive, his ability to break tackles, his ability to get to top-end speed. I mean, he's special in every way imaginable. You know, I, I had watched him in high school, and I thought that, what i thought was that i couldn't imagine what the best version of him would be i also couldn't imagine that he would be like 60 percent of the way there through like six games i mean this guy's made so much improvement and he's not even he's just beginning to scratch the surface now so i think he's someone that can be one of the special players to ever play here uh, just how quickly he's adapted the speed of the game the ins and outs of the game and now you're starting to see his raw talent improve then this isn't even a full weight room season so he's not even had a full you know year of the weight room that first full year of the weight room is huge just changes who you are um, physically and he's already pretty impressive physically he just he has a ceiling that's beyond what i think most fans can imagine i think he's going to be really really special here
2: We're talking with Brandon McAnderson here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. All right, on to the game picks. You are 40 and 34 on the air, 23 and 17 in college football. First up, number six, Michigan, minus four at number eight, Michigan State. I'm plus six in
3: college football. I don't even watch college football. I mean, what? (laughs) Michigan is minus four, you said? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's.
2: All right, going with the uh, fighting John Harbaugh's former, almost KU coach. Number nine, Iowa at Wisconsin, minus three and a half. Yeah.
3: that was Iowa DBs and dangers, and Wisconsin quarterbacks have been very good. I'll go with Iowa.
2: Number one, Georgia minus fourteen is taking on Florida. It's at a neutral site in, I think they call it like the biggest cocktail party or something like that.
1: Yeah, that game's
3: usually pretty wild. So you, I think it's one of those ones where you got to throw out some past performance stuff. I'll say that Georgia will
2: win but won't cover. Number 10, Ole Miss, is at number 18, Auburn. The Tigers are giving up 2.5. I like what Ole Miss is doing. I'll take Ole Miss. And number 20, Penn State, is at number 5, Ohio State. Uh, The Buckeyes are giving up 18.5. Wow. I mean, I think Ohio State
3: will win because Penn State has no kind of offense. That seems like a lot, 18.5. I'm going to say they won't cover.
2: Uh, do you have any thoughts on the nine overtime game last week, or the new overtime rules? Just in general,
3: um, growth would be the word I use. Nine <laughs> overtimes and twenty
2: to eighteen was the score. <laughs> That's gross. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, on to the NFL. You're sitting at five hundred on the year, seventeen and seventeen. Pittsburgh is taking on Cleveland. The Browns are minus
3: three and a half. Oh, mm, that was so weird. I think I'll think the Browns just overall talent.
2: Tennessee coming off a couple big wins over the Bills and the Chiefs. They're underdogs at Indianapolis who's favored by one and a half.
3: One of those division games where it like feels like anything can happen. I'll take it's cool.
2: New England is at the Chargers. Uh, LA has given up four and a half. Oh.
3: I like New England to keep it close. I think the Chargers are better.
2: New England right now has gotta be the the front runner in the running for every year. There's an NFL team where it's like, yeah, but they lose all these close games. If they, if they would have won all them all, they'd be 11 and five or 11 and six. And it's like, well, that's kind of the NFL. Like you win or lose close games. Right. <laughs>
3: all
2: right. Tampa Bay is minus four and a half. They're at new Orleans. I like the And Dallas is at Minnesota. The Cowboys are giving up one and a half.
3: That that stuff, I don't know if they've
2: moved him in or out officially Obviously, Minnesota. All right, those are our game picks, and that's our conversation with Brandon McAnderson. BMAC, thank you so much for the time, as always, and have fun on the call tomorrow uh, down in Stillwater. Thanks for having me. All right, that was Brandon McAnderson, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back, joins us on Fridays here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson with Cole C. DeButar. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. One hour down, two to go. Four o'clock hour, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. With Cole C Butar I'm Derek Johnson. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, joins us at the top of the five o'clock hour. We also have our worst Halloween candies. That draft coming in about 35, 40 minutes from right now. But first, we've got to get to this week's game picks. Adam, not here. He is over at a wedding, but he has texted me in his game picks. So we have those. We obviously have B You just heard those. So you'll just hear from uh, me and Cole from here, and I'll share what Adams is real quick before we get going. Adam is 25 and 14 overall in game picks. I'm 43 and 31. Cole, you are 29 and 30. So right close to getting above 500. I did really well last week. Yes, you did. I'm really excited. B is 40 and 34. We get on to college football first, where Adam is 13 and 7. I'm 22 and 18. College football's where you've been struggling. You're 12 and 18. You've been doing well in the NFL. College football though, you got to get it figured out right here. Number 6 Michigan minus 4 at Michigan State.
0: Oh man, that's always a competitive competitive game. But I really like the way Michigan's been playing this year. So even though uh generally I would stray away from saying that a rivalry game will be will have a wider score. I think that Michigan's a really good team.
2: I think Michigan's really good, too. I'm just still worried. Like, they haven't played anybody great yet, and I don't think Michigan State is great. I think they're a good team that is just undefeated, so they're ranked eighth. We haven't really seen Michigan be tested from a passing offense. Like, they have one of the best running games in the country, really good defense. Um, I'm sure come the Ohio State game, they'll still find a way to give up 50 points, though, because that's just what happens every year. But I just... I have a hard time seeing how much Jim Harbaugh has struggled against not just Ohio State, Michigan State, both the rivals. I have a hard time seeing how both these teams are going to be similar in that they're going to be running teams play good defense. I think it's a low, close-scoring game. I wouldn't be surprised if Michigan State wins it, but at the very least, I think it's close. I'm going to go with Michigan State. Adam, though, agrees with Cole. He's going to go with Michigan. Number nine, Iowa staying in the big ten at Wisconsin. The Badgers, despite being unranked, are giving up three and a half.
0: What? hmm Under Is is the Iowa quarterback injured? What's going Not to on my with that with that line? That's a that's you know, a Vegas knows something line a hundred percent. Yes. But I think that's ridiculous, man. I can't bet against Iowa there.
2: Well, see, this is so here's the thing. I think Wisconsin is gonna win the game straight up. Um Iowa's offense is bad, man. Um, All they can really do is run the football, and that doesn't even happen consistently because if the teams you're playing are only loading up in the box, they're not going to respect you as much. Iowa's 86th in the country in offensive efficiency, according to ESPN SP+. Now, Iowa is still a a good team, and the reason why, they have a top-five defense, they have good opportunistic special teams, and they get a ton of turnovers that help aid the offense. I don't know. That might be something you can count on because Graham Mertz for Wisconsin has been turnover prone. And that could make it so that they can get a couple pick sixes or, or something that changes this game. But I think Wisconsin wins. Where I'm having trouble is do they also cover three and a half? Because last week, if you remember, one of the biggest, this is a weird Vegas line, Iowa State was unranked playing against number eight Oklahoma State. And Iowa State was favored by seven points.
0: Iowa State won the game, so Vegas
2: knew something, but Oklahoma State's still covered.
0: Yeah, I just, I mean, a, a team with a defense as great as Iowa losing by, a tu- by like, you know, a touchdown? Mm-hmm. Like, I I just don't really see that. I don't either, but Wisconsin has the number
2: one defense in the country. They are by far the best defense against the run that we've seen in quite some time. It's just, can the offense get confused? Go- Honestly, if you if you just told me Wisconsin's offense was going to like punt every time and not turn the ball over, I would take Wisconsin easily. I'm I'm going to lean Wisconsin. I, I just think this is Vegas knows something
0: like. Yeah, I'll
2: go Iowa. Okay. Uh no Oh, Adam has Wisconsin by the way. Number 1 Georgia taking on Florida neutral site game. Georgia is giving up 14.
0: Yep, go Georgia. No, I'm going to going to stay with Georgia until they show me that they're not actually the best team in college football.
2: I'm going to actually go Florida on this one. Um, It's not that I think Florida's going to win, but can they at least keep it within 14? It's a rivalry game. You have that on your side. The old uh, cliche, what is it, throw the records out the book. I think uh, the most important stat that we should be talking about, every season that the Atlanta Braves have made the World Series, the Florida Gators have beaten the Georgia Bulldogs and guess what you're the the most sports (laughs) guy of all sports
0: guys dude so
2: no but that's not the real reason i'm picking him though that that did make me feel better about this pick i just dan mullen typically has good game plans when he's the underdog right like you think about the alabama game earlier this year they were 14 17 point underdogs they barely lose by what two points on the missed two point conversion um this feels like one of those. Florida eviscerated the Georgia defense last year, which looked like a great defense, and they just dominated them. Now it's a very different Florida offense. I think Florida can keep it close. I I still, like, Georgia's done everything to make you believe they're the number one team, bar none in the country. I'm not arguing that. I would rank them number one as well. There is still a small part of me that wonders what happens if you face a really good offense or a team that just has a really good offensive game because the Georgia running game is really good, the passing game's been solid, but it's not an exquisite passing game. You kind of have a quarterback controversy with two guys who have played well but aren't, like, All-Americans or anything. And when you look at who they've beaten so far, it's not like it's a, a gauntlet of who they've beaten. Like, the best team they've beaten by ranking is Kentucky, who is just outside the top 10. But is Kentucky really, like, the 12th best team in the country? Probably not. So I I, I don't know what to think. I, I think Florida can cover the 14. Number 10, Ole Miss is at number 18, Auburn. The Tigers are giving up two and a half.
0: Really? Really? Um, that's interesting. I don't love Auburn this year. I don't love Ole Miss this year either, though. This is a team... This is a battle between two teams that I've felt have underperformed my expectations at different points in the year. Um, I think I'm leaning towards Ole Miss just because... Well, two and a half Two and a half is so small. Two and a half is like the dumbest line in all of football because... Um so I would guess that very few games are actually decided by that by like one or two points. But then when you think it's not worth anything, they end
2: up losing by exactly two and you're wishing you would have taken the two and a half instead of just money. Yeah, on. I just
0: I just <laughs> uh I think that most games probably just don't actually have that differential, you know. So that's just based on Vegas trying to get a certain amount of money on each side of that line. Um I think I like Ole Miss better, but uh, that's that's a that's a tough one, and not one that I'm like uh, super invested in per se.
2: By the way, Adam uh, picked Georgia in the, the last game. He's got Ole Miss here. I have Ole Miss as well, so we have a clean sweep with all of us liking Ole Miss, which means Auburn is probably going to cover in that one. Uh, number twenty, Penn State <laughs> is at number five, Ohio State. And this game, or, or had Penn State just beaten Illinois. This would be like a really marquee game; it'd be a top ten game. Instead, Penn State's only ranked twentieth, and now Ohio State is giving up eighteen and a half points.
0: What? Because Penn State had a bad week? I don't I don't know about that. What what the heck is that? It, did you say 18 and that a is half? That's correct. No, that's terrible, dude. Like yeah, that means that Penn State could get like their butts kicked by 17 and you would still lose your bet. I'm going Penn State, man. That's terrible. I think this
2: should be closer to a 10 to 14 point line. I am worried because Penn State's offense is very inconsistent, and it's basically Jahan, Dotson, or Bust. Ohio State's starting to play really well since the Oregon loss, but they also haven't played very tough competition, so I don't know what to think of that. But James Franklin, even though he hasn't beaten Ohio State, has at least kept the games close. I like Penn State to cover the 18-and-a-half. I don't feel great about it, to be honest, because if the offense can only – I mean, the offense barely could muster up a couple, They put up 18 points through nine overtimes against Illinois. So if they go out there against Ohio State, who has better athletes than Illinois and only puts up 13, could Ohio State put up 35? Very easily. So I don't feel great about this, but I'm going to lean Penn State. Adam is going to go with Ohio State there. Uh, my lock of the week, currently 7-1. and one. I got Boston College going back to the well. They've had a couple bad performances. They're getting 6.5 at Syracuse. Syracuse has been a solid, nice little turnaround team this year. I think it's a close game. I wouldn't be surprised if Boston College wins. So let's keep rolling with the lock of the week and uh, try to improve that winning streak up to eight. All right, on to the NFL. Adam is 12 and seven this year. I'm 21 and 13. You're 17 and 12. You're 4 and 1 in the NFL last week. First up, Pittsburgh at Cleveland. The Browns are giving up three and a half.
0: Yeah, man. I think Pittsburgh's bad. Just, like, real, real bad. And are the Browns also really bad, but for a different reason? Not because there's I mean, fundamental problems with their team? Well, yeah, my point is that Cleveland doesn't have fundamental problems with their team like Pittsburgh does. They have a lot of injuries. Uh, but, you know, I think that Big Ben's probably going to get his hip broken by Miles Garrett, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's going to be a rough game, I think, for, for Pittsburgh. So, yeah, I'm on the Cleveland train there.
2: Hmm. So Pittsburgh historically has owned Cleveland in the series, but the Browns finally kind of fired back last year. I don't know if I should consider that. You should. I just, I, I, I uh, the offense. Big Ben is just so bad right now. I'm gonna take the three and a half though. I think it's a low, close scored game. Um, Baker Mayfield, I think, is gonna be playing. Good. So I mean, that's a good thing. But
0: you know, if Jarvis Landry's going he's to injured, I
2: think I saw he's supposed to as well.
0: Then, yeah, then Browns, Browns, Browns.
2: I'm just going to go with Pittsburgh. I don't know. I have a weird feeling on this one.
0: Adam's going to take Pittsburgh as well. Tennessee
2: at Indianapolis. The Titans have two of the biggest wins of the NFL, and they've come in the last two weeks, although maybe the Chiefs probably shouldn't be considered in that anymore. Uh, the Colts, though, are favored by one and a half.
0: I mean, of if any team in the NFL uh, can stop – well, okay, there's two teams in the NFL that I think can stop the Titans the running Chiefs. attack and – and Held it's them the Rams and it's the Ram and the yeah man three yards and to carry and it's the Rams and the Colts. The Rams and the, and the Colts are the two teams in the NFL that can stop the Titans' rushing attack. So, yeah, I mean, I like the Colts, but I'm surprised they're favored. I guess they think the Titans are going to be like uh, on a downswing after the Chiefs win, but I think a little bit differently. I think the Titans are going to try to ride this to uh, an AFC championship. You know, So I think I'm going to go Titans. I really like how the Colts match up defensively against the Titans, but the Titans just had their biggest win of the season, and I think that they're not going to rest on their laurels here.
2: I hate picking Carson Wentz, but I'm going to do it here. This feels like Vegas knows something line. Why are the Colts favored? They have a losing record. The Titans are coming off a couple big wins. Maybe Vegas knows something. I'm going with the Colts. I, uh, You know, Darius Leonard... You can help shut down Derrick Henry, not shut down, but slow down Derrick Henry at the very least. And I don't know. They're, they're kind of figuring it out right now. They started the year slow. They get the win last week against the 49ers. I'll take the Colts for the upset. New England is at the Chargers. L.A. is giving up four and a half points.
0: Hmm. Well, you know, uh, Belichick loves bullying young guys, doesn't he? <laughs> uh, like, we saw what he did to Zach Wilson. That was, that was cruel, man. Like, Zach Wilson hadn't been having a great year, but he completely embarrassed himself against New England. So this is like Bill's hobby. I think he gets off on it, man. (laughs) So uh, do I trust in Belichick's ability to make Herbert look like a fool? I think there's uh, some reason to put some stock into that, to say that at the very least, Bill gets to keep it close. So I'm going to go the Patriots here. I made this
2: joke with BMac that the Patriots are trending toward being the team that they lose all these close games at the end of the year. We go, yeah, they were seven and ten, but like, they lost five games by four points or less. They could have very easily been a playoff team. Now, I mentioned to BMac, there's one of those teams, a couple of those teams every year, and that that kind of comes down to how you do in the NFL because so many of these games are close. But that said, for the spread, they're getting four and a half points. So if they can keep it close. You win. I do agree with you. I'm going with the Patriots here. I think they keep it close. All right, Tampa Bay is minus four and a half. They're at New Orleans.
0: You know, I'm a Saints guy. Big Saints. Oh, by guys. the way,
2: Adam picked the Titans and the Chargers on those last.
0: Okay. Game. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm a big Saints guy. Uh, I I can't say I'm terribly optimistic. Uh, but I think. I think I go Saints so that next week, if we win 38-3, to I can be like, ha-ha, I knew it. I told you so. Uh, Because, you know, that's what we did last year. And this Saints team, defensively, super similar to last year. Uh, I don't know if Michael Thomas is going to be back. I don't think he is, uh, which is distressing. Uh, Deontay Harris is obviously not going to be back. So that terrible, terrible offense that we saw – is going to be pretty bad yet again. I will say that drops vary a ton week to week, and a lot of those like great, you know, 40, 50, uh, complete bombs tossed by James Winston just bounced off guys' hands, and that's not something that's consistently going to happen. That that's extreme variability week to week. So I think it's completely possible that the offense actually has a great week, uh, but just in aggregate it won't.
2: I see this going one of two ways. Either Jameis Winston has a revenge game where he throws for like 400 yards. And it's like one of those. Sean Payton's not going to love him throw. Well, whatever it is. 350. I don't know. He just has like a great game. And he leads him to an upset win. Either that or Jameis Winston tries too much to have a Jameis Winston revenge game. And he throws like four interceptions and dooms them in. That said. I've been enjoying the Saints because they are a roller coaster of a team. They are the team that nobody can figure out, right? You beat the Packers 38 to 3, and then the very next week, you're or maybe it's two weeks after, you're losing to the Panthers. I think it was the next week, like 26 to 7. And it's just like, what what is this team? We don't know. But this just feels like the perfect situation. I think you have to you have to zig when people are zagging on the Saints and when people are zagging on the Saints, you zig on the Saints in the fact that People are maybe down on them now. You know, you just lost to the Giants a couple weeks ago. Tampa Bay just had the big blowout win over the Bears. They're unstoppable. This is the week you zig when people are zagging. Take the Saints. I'm going to the Saints plus four and a half. Yeah, I'm
0: taking the Saints too. Uh,
2: Adam has Tampa Bay. Dallas is minus one and a half at Minnesota on Sunday Night Football.
0: That's close. That's a tight, tight line. I think Dallas is way, way better than that. Prescott questionable. Oh, that's why. Okay, I don't think I saw that uh, news. Dang. Um, who's their backup?
2: Cooper Rush?
0: Oh, Jesus. Andy Dalton's gone. Uh, and Elliott's been having a terrible year, so it's not like you can put the team on his back, huh? Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, no, I think it's Garrett Gilbert, actually.
0: Wow. I, uh, feel like I don't even know who that is, dude. <laughs> um, uh, so...
2: I could have just made up a name. I think like, okay, that
0: sure. Dak will do everything in his power to play, mm-hmm. which makes me want to go Cowboys because i think the cowboys are way way better than the vikings i think the vikings are mediocre to bad i think the cowboys are contenders so i got to go cowboys if dak isn't doesn't play like i wouldn't make this bet until like an hour before the game that's what i'm telling the you. issue is <laughs> if
2: you do that like if they announce dak's playing this line could pop up to oh, 3 or definitely 4 gonna points pop. right um I'm going to go with Dallas. I'll take the risk. Dak is playing. Here's the thing, though. Even if Dak doesn't play, like if Dak doesn't play, I'd pick the Vikings. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Cowboys won even without Dak just because the the whole roster is still and really their good. And
0: their receivers are insane. Yeah, Even if you got a mediocre quarterback or bad quarterback throw to them, it's still Amari mm-hmm. Cooper and CeeDee Lamb. Those are great, great receivers.
2: So I'll go with the Cowboys as well. Da- uh, Adam has Dallas in addition to that. All right, that is our game picks for the weekend. Cole Cedar Butar, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, depend on it. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. With Cole Cedar Butar, I'm Derek Johnson. Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, joins us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. We've got to get to our... Worst Halloween candies draft, but first, before we do that, here's a little prelude from the least favorite Halloween candies from a bunch of the different KU football players. Uh, This would be Caleb Sampson, Jason Bean, um, who am I missing? Jeremy Webb, Kwame Lassiter. Mm, I don't even remember who the other one was. Either way, here they are. What's the worst Halloween Mike candy? Mike Davinsky's the other. Um, candy corn. So, what do you think Jeremy Webb said his favorite was jan- candy corn?
1: Uh, uh, I
3: don't know. That'd be probably be a good uh, debate we've had. <laughs> Talking about candy corn is the best. Yeah. There's no way. What's the worst Halloween candy? Mm. Worst Halloween candy? I would probably say licorice. <laughs> yeah, like Twizzlers or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I right
2: What about, what's the worst Halloween candy? Worst? Anything pumpkin-flavored, any kind of pumpkin-flavored candy. So you probably don't like all the pumpkin spice stuff right nah, now. Nah, right? no. What do you think is the worst Halloween candy? Almond, Joy. Mm. Like, why would you put that in your bag? <laughs> why do you want to give the kids that? What's the worst Halloween candy? What's the worst? Mm-hmm. Gotta be... Butterfingers, really? Um, I can't think of the name. It's uh, it's like a small circle. It's in a box. Something with a W. Um, small. It's
0: like small brown. Something with a W. Uh, I can't remember.
2: Okay, wait. Do you know what that is that he's talking about there?
0: Yeah, probably like Werther's Originals, like butterscotches and stuff.
2: Oh, so he doesn't mean Butterfinger. He means Butterscotch.
0: If he means Butterfinger, those are also not good. I like Butterfingers. But Butterscotch is probably what he was referring to. It starts with a W. That's Ah, one of the only candies I I know that starts with a W. I could
2: not figure out for the life of me what he meant, but which you said. Uh, See, I'm glad you came in today. Okay. Uh, You ready to do our draft? I'll give you the first pick. Okay. Get intense here.
0: I want to uh, set the stage here. Okay, and set some ground rules. If you say candy corn, I'm going to take this tape dispenser, hop over the table, and hit you in the head. Why? So that's number one. Wait, why? Uh, uh, But my number one. Do you like candy corn? I like candy corn a lot. Okay. My number one pick let's set the stage. You uh, went trick or treating Mm -hmm. with your pillowcase or your little candy pail, and now it's December. It's mid December. All your candy is gone. Except, Mm. except what? Those stupid Whoppers in the bottom of your (laughs) Halloween bag. That is the only candy that remains, and it is therefore the worst Halloween candy. Number one overall pick, Whoppers.
2: I uh, am fine with Whoppers being on this list. They're not great. Um, They get stuck in your teeth, so I'm fine with that. Thank you, by the way, for tipping your hat, because now I realize I can have the value pick of the draft, which is taking candy corn later in the draft, because I know you're not going to take it. Uh, my first pick is going to be, hmm, there's so many good options right now. I am going to go with pretzels, you know.
0: Oh, well, can we do candy only? Okay, here's here's, oh, what we we probably like, establish here's another piece right of background. Because, this is what I wrote down on mm-hmm. my short list. If you hand me something that isn't candy, I'll egg your house. Okay,
2: let's just... Not, <laughs> I mean, that's good. Let's just not consider that because this is specifically, it says in the title, Worst Halloween Candies. And those are not candies. But yes, if you're giving out the popcorn balls or the candy, if Mr. Dentist
0: on. Man hands me a toothbrush, <laughs> he's getting egged.
2: Okay, so I, I won't take that. Okay, candy-wise, I'm going to go with a Tootsie Roll. Is there anything more bland or basic or stupid than a Tootsie Roll? It's like... If you want to be that consistency, just be taffy because taffy is really good. If you want to be chocolate, just be chocolate because chocolate is really good. Tootsie Roll is the worst of both worlds. Tootsie Rolls suck.
0: Yeah, exactly. Just give me a Hershey's chocolate bar or something. I don't want weird, fla- like weird, yeah. uh, textured, and then not as good tasting chocolate. It's okay. terrible.
2: So that is my uh, number one. I'm going to go with Almond Joy as well. I know some people actually love Almond Joys, and you're the obscure crowd, but get out of here. Almond joys are gross.
0: All right, here's my number two. My number two is uh, is is a, is a twofer. Um, that, that that they're similar enough that I'm combining them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pixie sticks and fun dip. No
2: way. That's on the best. It's just sugar. You just eat sugar, it's a oh, perfect yeah. Why excuse. Why don't you go eat a
0: spoonful of sugar from your baking cabinet, Derek? Because
2: it's it's not colored and. and Well, it's it not colored. Good. I'm telling you what, Fun Dip might be a top five candy in general. I mean, it's just oh, an excuse God. to eat sugar that off of vanilla. The stick is the most disgusting. No, the stick is like the greatest her, part. Dude. Oh no. my gosh.
0: What? Dude, just oh, go, get go here. home. Get a spoon and start eating sugar out of your baking cabinet like a normal person. I'm going to put this up for Pixie a poll. Sticks, I'm telling dude.
2: you right now, you're going to lose. Just no, for that I'm not. Pick alone. No, I'm not. Okay, you have uh, another pick.
0: <laughs> All right, uh, my other pick: um, double bubble and other quarter yeah. machine bubble gum.
2: I'm just going to put gum.
0: They last for five seconds, and they. I mean, yeah, I think the taste of bubble gum is good. Notably, I like the right. taste of bubble gum, but. If it's not you candy But value wise, if I go to a house and they give me a couple pieces of candy, when they give me now and later, Starburst, stuff like that, there's a time value component to it. Bubblegum lasts for about a minute. Have you ever had a bit honey? Uh yes, it's nuts and honey, right?
2: Yeah, it's like almonds and honey. I'm putting that on my list. That's my next pick. It uh it's not good. It's an obscure candy. Why ever would you buy that? It's just odd. Kids don't want that.
0: I think the thing is, is that back in like the early twentieth uh, century, they didn't know what food tasted good, <laughs> so they just really yeah. winged it on all sorts. Everybody of Everybody likes of honey. Just yeah. Um. Speaking of old old candies, here's my uh, wait. I have another pick. Oh, you got another pick? Sorry, yeah, don't
2: reveal your list. I'm gonna go with the value pick now. Give me candy corn. Ah,
0: whatever. <laughs> all right, go ahead. All right, here's mine. Uh, it's another old old candy for old old people. Who That's are losing rude. their teeth. So? Heath Bars. I
2: actually like Heath Bars. Oh,
0: my God. You like toffee?
2: Yeah. You don't like toffee? No, I don't like toffee. I think you have two bad ones on this list. I
0: think I think. Listen, that I wouldn't
2: put a Heath Bar in, like, my top ten favorite, but, like, if a Heath Bar's in front of me, I've, I'll eat it.
0: Uh, toffee is, is, I think, ice cream is good. generally an old-person gross can. Mm. So, so I, I think the fact that people still give out Heath mm. Bars in the year of our Lord 2021 is a travesty.
2: Okay, you have uh, your last pick. For your All right, five.
0: my last pick is the world's worst gumdrops—the driest thing on the face of I'm the planet. You. Oh no, dots. Get out. Dots out of here. are the last pick. They are a terrible candy. They have a terrible texture. If you have braces, it'll take you a week to get <laughs> them out of there. They're. Sticky and dry and bland all at the same time. They only have three of them in a little box because they're because they're greedy, uh, son of guns, and I hate them.
2: So I actually like Dots, but I could not tell you the last time I've had Dots. Probably when I was 12 or 13 years old because, like you said, you cannot get them out of your teeth. Um, they are a mess to eat. For, so from that standpoint, I'm fine with them on here. But I, I think flavor-wise, they're actually good. Like, I don't know. I, I wouldn't put them on here. Okay, my last pick... I mean with tainted candy. Razor blades in your candy, you know, poisoned candy, pot candy. Don't give that out, you know, don't be rude, don't hurt people. Tainted candy. That's a that's a bad version. Can I candy. get an
0: honorable mention in here? Yeah, uh,
2: what what would be your honorable mention? What would be your sixth man? I guess we'll just go sixth. Uh
0: sixth man uh weirdly shaped Reese's cups.
2: Okay, no. Come on.
0: <laughs> come if on. It's like a pumpkin. It ruins the ratio of a of a tag Reese's. So you have the eggs. Derek. You don't like the eggs. I or don't the... like the eggs. Oh Too much gosh. peanut butter. Okay. I don't. I don't like. You're going to get
2: absolutely massacred in this poll. I hope you know that. Uh, if I have to pick a sixth one, I don't know. Uh, you could convince me, Smarties. Like they're fine, but it's just that's all it is. It's fine. It's kind of like the mashed potatoes of candy. Um, black licorice. Who likes black licorice? And then Necco wafers. Have you ever had those? No, like I've a never heard Necco of echoing. Okay. I'm going to go with black licorice. Uh,
0: I just want you to know that uh, Jonathan Monk down the hall says that dots are uh, a, a great number one worst candy pick. So. <laughs> okay.
2: All right. Well, we'll put it up for the poll, see what happens. That's Cole C. Butar. I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. We're joined now by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, on a Friday here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Brian, you got to call a pretty fun game last Saturday. How enjoyable was that game against Oklahoma just to broadcast?
1: Man, that's the most fun we've had in the booth since Boston College. Uh, it was maybe more fun than the homecoming win over Texas Tech, and obviously that was a win, but just to be coming off the – homecoming game versus Texas Tech this year, two years later, where we felt like, you know, Kansas and Tech weren't that far apart based on two previous years of games played within a field goal and, and you find yourselves on the wrong side of a 41-14 score in which you didn't get on the board until the final minute. There was there was a pretty, you know, disappointing and, and frustrating feeling leaving the booth that day, David Booth Memorial Stadium, that is, and uh, and to come back a week later when nobody, Nobody was giving Kansas a snowball's chance, and to see what they did in so many phases of the game. And I talked to you guys last week about trying to play complementary football and then have the offense, if not score on every drive, at least you know move the ball a little bit to give the defense a chance to rest up, to keep the opponent offense on the sideline, and also to, to have a chance to shorten the games a bit with time of possession and flip the field. Boy, oh boy, did we ever do that. I mean, just one pump the entire game, nine of 13 on third down conversions. The way they forced Oklahoma into having Caleb Williams just stand and watch for 12 of the first 15 minutes of the game. They had three minutes' time of possession at the end of the first quarter, eight minutes' time of possession at halftime. I mean, they could not have scripted a better game plan, and the execution offensively and defensively was really, really impressive. Now, obviously, in the second half, Oklahoma's offense got it going, and, and we missed some big plays on defense. But there were also, as I'm sure you guys have chronicled, a couple of holds, the block in the back, Uh, A legal forward handoff where the play could have been blown dead. There were a lot of ifs and buts in that one. But just to be in position uh, to be talking about a controversial call or two, to be in position to be saying what might have happened if Stephen McBride doesn't fumble, or if we pounce on the forced fumble that Kansas forced Oklahoma to cough up at midfield but we couldn't quite recover. I I think the way KU was moving the ball, Derek, and the way the Oklahoma secondary had no answer for Kwame Lasseter I don't have much doubt in my mind that we would have gone down and scored in some fashion. The question is how much time would have been left on the clock. But on a day in which KU punted just once all day, had they been given one more chance – It's hard to imagine them not at least going down and threatening Oklahoma in what would have been a five-point game at that juncture. So, you know, based on everything we were feeling coming out of the previous week and everything that was expected heading into that one with nobody giving Kansas much hope, to have a game that competitive and to see that much tangible progress one week to the next was exactly what the fan base needed. It's certainly a lot of fun from a media standpoint to have so much more to talk about. And hopefully it's the type of performance, Derek, guys can draw from going forward the rest of the season and feel like, hey, if we did that versus those guys, we can compete with just about anybody. Having said that, as we transition to this week, this is our toughest remaining game by far. This defense is way better than Oklahoma's defense. Talking about Oklahoma State. And uh, it's it's going to be a bear. If you look at history, recent history, the last 15 years down there in Stillwater, not having won since 20, uh, 2007, so uh, it's it's going to be a real mountain of a challenge on Saturday night. But I think our guys head into it feeling a lot more confident and and a little bit freer. That a little bit of the pressure is off after kind of a dog performance in their homecoming showing versus the Red Raiders.
2: Yeah, and I think uh, one of the cool parts about Hawk Talk is you can kind of sense the pulse of the fan base. And, you know, as I was listening to Hawk Talk and at the beginning of the show, you mentioned how... It's standing room only in there. So, did you see some of the, I guess, fan appreciation, some of the excitement building around the team after that game and uh, on Wednesday at uh, Johnny's?
1: We did. Uh, Mama Haney couldn't even get a table. She (laughs) shows up forty five minutes early. She got one, but it was in the adjacent room. Her normal seat was gone. And you know, we've uh, we've had great crowds throughout mostly because Coach Leipold and his family are so endearing. You know, Kelly's out there for every episode. They bring their son, Landon, out, who's a, a free state football player. And uh, and they mingle with the crowd. We, we do a lot more this year with this staff to showcase assistant coaches and players alike. And and so there's, there's kind of a different vibe to the show to begin with compared to previous years. And, and so folks, you know, even in the midst of a six-game losing streak, have been coming out. But they were bursting at the seams the other night, and uh, and it was so funny. I'm glad you brought it up because Coach, as the show was ending, and he puts his headset down, he turns to me and says, man, if if this is the turnout and the energy we get after a loss, I just can't imagine what would have happened if we would have won that game. And I said, Coach, you win six games. We're going to build you a statue here. You know, and that's, that's how starved for a, a consistent winner we are at Kansas. And, and if he can truly get this thing back to – being competitive week in and week out in the league and competing for bowl eligibility most seasons, like Mark Mangino was doing, uh, then he will be, you know, ballyhooed and hyped and Ku lore. And and so I think he's getting a taste of already some appreciation from the fan base, even if it's not adding up in the win column. And hopefully, you know, we've got many more brighter days ahead to celebrate the actual wins.
2: We talked about last week how important it was for Jason Bean to go out and have a good performance coming off a a couple inconsistent down performances for him just to kind of build that confidence back up and – uh, make you feel in especially through the rest of this season so you can get into the offseason like hey we have the guy we know who it is You're going to an off season, thinking you know who that is not to say that guys like Jalen Daniels or something wouldn't still have a, a shot at trying to compete for a spot but certainly the way that Jason being performed in that game gives you a lot of hope moving forward and I think with the battery in the backfield, like you just start thinking ahead. If you can get more performances like that, obviously Devin Neal was great as well. Having Jason Bean and Devin Neal, knowing that could be your backfield for two more seasons after this one,
1: that's really exciting moving forward. Yeah, I think Jason answered the call far greater than anyone could have imagined outside of of maybe Jim Zabrowski, his quarterback's coach, and Jason himself, because honestly, we, we were, you know, Starting to wonder if what we saw in September was going to translate to league play. Not that you know we given up hope or had major doubt, but clearly his best three performances were in non-con play, and his most struggling performances were in league play. And while I told you definitively uh, in, in studio last week that there was no quarterback controversy, just because Miles. Kendrick came in and threw two touchdowns late, you know, didn't mean anything was gonna upset the Apple cart based on Jason ceiling and all of that and what he can bring athletically that nobody else on the roster can. But having said that, you know, he needed to bounce back because if he had a couple more performances like that we might have been talking Kendrick and so the coaching staff challenged him last week and the way he responded i mean 17 out of 23 74% completions he was making throws on the run with greater accuracy than we'd seen since you know going all the way back to the Duke game he was making throws in the pocket he was you know confidently making quick reads and decisive throws that put the ball out of the money and and we also saw him you know, make some nice plays with his feet. One of which he stepped out of bounds early on, and he got some grief on that all the way to, to ESPN's "Come on, man" segment, which uh, Jesse Newell had some fun, I think, asking him about. But uh, but yeah, I, I think you know, outside of that, you could not have asked for anything more. And for him to do this versus Oklahoma, uh, it, it just goes to show you, uh, you know, how much he's capable of. If we truly see the best version of Jason Bean. I think the way I put it on the air on on Saturday was he'd kind of gone back to Clark Kent for the last three conference games, but uh, between Texas Tech and Oklahoma, he went back into the phone booth and came back out with the S on his chest as Superman. And and that's the guy that I think is a great, I don't want to say equalizer. He doesn't bridge the gap entirely between Kansas and and some of the much more talent-entriched Big 12 rosters out there. But when he's doing what he did at Coastal and when he's playing the way he played versus uh, Oklahoma on Saturday, it does make us, I think, instantly 14 to 17 points better, which means in a perceived game where, where we're you know supposed to be blown out entering the fourth, maybe you're in striking distance. Or in a couple of these games come up in November where the point spread itself might be in the 14-point the range, If if that's the Jason Bean you get, then absolutely you got a chance to win it. And obviously, uh, it goes without saying, Your are reigning Big 12 Newcomer of the Week. Devin Neal was outstanding. He's running behind an offensive line that's, that's made tremendous progress from Week 1 up to now. Just two sacks allowed in the last five games, and, and the run blocking's been great. His running and vision, I think, is is noticeably better. And some of the cutbacks he makes, some of the the quick decisions on on which hole to hit, I mean, he's showing week in, week out, steady improvement, far greater than most kids soak up and and pick up this early in their development. And So I think you really got to be encouraged there, too. And We've we've sung his praises a lot on this show about what a fine young Jayhawk ambassador he is. It's going to play two sports and does great in the classroom, says all the right things, you know, Consummate, you know, team representative. But to see what he's done as an 18-year-old kid being asked to, uh, you know, take on a starting role after back in August. I mean, he was he was on a depth chart; he was going to get action. But I mean, you had Daniel Highshaw in the mix, you had Belton Gardner, you had a bunch of guys, and suddenly, you know, three games into his career, he's being asked to be a bell cow. And you look down four weeks later, 374 yards. Two one hundred yard games, two touchdowns against Oklahoma, and those stats versus o u of one hundred and two touches, only four true freshmen have done that versus Oklahoma in the last twenty one years, a span longer than devin's life, <laughs> to put it in perspective that's how rare that is against o u and so just thrill for him, and as you said, you know to keep those guys together heading into the future looks very exciting. And, and I know at the same time, you know, there's, there's long-term high hopes for Jalen Daniels, too, on this roster as well. So we'll have to see. But uh, I would love to see Jason take the progress of last week and run with it and feel like heading into next season, we've got our guy and we've got a one-two punch that would be favorable in most matchups. Uh, you know, on paper, that you know, if you had those two guys returning based on what may be lost in, in some other programs around the rest of the league at the end of the year.
2: We're talking with the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, going to be down in Stillwater, KU, taking on Oklahoma State, 6 o'clock, pregame, 4.30 on KLWN, and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. So you're going to be in Oklahoma anyway. I would like to petition, there's got to be a way you can get in to broadcast the secret scrimmage, right, between KU and Tulsa. Can you get that information out to us?
1: I love it. I love it. Yeah, you know, it's funny how these work nowadays. You can't, and yet there have been some other scrimmages where, uh, certain media members have put out a shell of a box score saying that, that Team A did this and Team B did that, and you kind of had to fill in the blanks from there. I don't think we're going to get that access, but, but it is funny, as, as the guys had a 7 a.m. practice today, basketball did, and then you know got set to hop on the bus earlier to Tulsa. You know, our, our football team's hopping on the bus to go to Stillwater, and I think they're staying in Edmond tonight, which is actually Bill Self's hometown, so two separate bus trips, uh, teams head in similar directions, and uh, high hopes for each this weekend. You know, Coach Self has uh, talked a little bit about how this came about, just with some, some scheduling uh, hangups that led to only one exhibition game. Because normally the exhibition games are a great opportunity uh, for some of the, the smaller colleges in our state to get a nice paycheck from Kansas with, with their cut of the ticket gate and all that, and, and a nice showcase for their programs. And, and we get two games under the lights of Allen Fieldhouse to get acclimated. And I honestly think that's what they're going to go back to next year. I really believe that. I like, think this is a one-off. But a lot of other schools have been doing these closed-door, you know, behind-closed-door scrimmage-type settings, and it does give you a chance to play a better opponent than you know a, an MIAA team or something like that with all due respect to those clubs that we play, because this is a, a D1 program that uh, you know, could strike a lot of fear into a lot of teams this year. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what comes out of it. But uh, I, I don't think we can, we can pull off any type of re- remote broadcast. It would be amazing to just stick <laughs> BMAC over there and have BMAC <laughs> sideline updates be from the basketball scrimmage instead of what's going on in football. But uh, but no, I think the timing-wise, they'll be done by the time that rolls around anyway. But uh, definitely fun, and, and I know this. Uh, in, in talking with coach a little bit this week um, the, the cream hasn't completely risen to the top just yet in terms of getting separation on that rotation i, I think there's some guys um, you know that, uh, that that still need to step it up i think they've been impressed with the freshmen uh, in, in many cases not to the point where they're going to trust themselves ahead of some of the veteran players in the rotation but in the point to which the veterans some of these 24 and 25 year olds need to step it up a little bit um and and some of these uh transfer guys maybe haven't quite acclimated as quickly and so uh i I think competition right now is is pretty heavy spots you know six through 14 on the roster because in some places certain guys have surprised uh, performing better than you would have thought at this point, and others are taking longer to get going. But, hey, we're talking about, you know, a couple of weeks in, and you still got a couple of weeks before you uh, you truly get up there. Well, not quite two weeks, I guess, uh, to Madison Square Garden. But you will eventually see that separation. And I think some of the guys that he's challenging right now in practice are going to have, a, you know, a big wake-up call and in a in – a, in a, healthy reminder of where they're at after this Tulsa scrimmage that hopefully it puts them on a path to make the most of the last week plus before it gets real in a hurry at Madison Square Garden.
2: He is Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. You can hear him on that KU broadcast tomorrow. KU Oklahoma State at 6 o'clock pregame at 4.30 and find out if he can coax Lance Leipold into just using the phrase dollar signs. <laughs>
1: Man, yeah, we stayed away from that one, but I'll tell you what, you're like the umpteenth person that's brought that up to me, and we were actually talking about it in the booth as it was happening on Saturday, trying not to mention it on the air, because you don't (laughs) want to go there necessarily, but uh, it certainly felt that way at times, no doubt. Hey, I do want to give a shout-out to my man Nate Miller and the Miller Retirement Group. They're going to be uh, the sponsors of these Friday check-ins with you guys throughout the season. He's been a a big you know, booster of the Rock Chalk Roundball Classic supporting local kids fighting pediatric cancer and now jumping in on these uh, KU reports. So really appreciate all that they're doing for me and, and our coverage here on KLWM, but especially appreciate what they can do for you and your finances and assets as you head into retirement. So check out the Miller Retirement Group today. It's MillerRetirementGroup.com, located right here in Lawrence, Kansas, retirement and income planning. Thanks so much, Derek.
2: All right, that's Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. This is Rock Shock Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson with Cole C. Butar on your Friday here on FM 1017 at 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.